Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Are you a Barbie girl in a Barbie world? Um, okay, so you know what? I'm going to make a confession. I'm going to make a confession to you, Sandy, oh. and to all of our listeners. Yeah. I really didn't think this was going to get that deep. I thought you were <laughs> going to make fun of me and we were going to move on, but here we go. Confession time. Okay, so my confession is I love Aqua. <laughs> I think that they're such a great band and I had their CD and I remember like listening to it at my grandmother's house where there was like only five stations that we can watch on TV. Cause like, okay, she... wait, 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 wait. Does, is everybody going to know what Aqua is? I feel like, okay, so this is our last episode for a minute. So I feel like you have to actually kind of splice in some of <laughs> what you're talking about. Although that might not be legal. I'm not sure. But in any case... <laughs> Fuck. You want me to do one of those CBC things where they like randomly put a fucking sound clip in the middle of their podcast and it's like, why are you doing this? This sounds bad. But they do it anyway. I wanted I wanted you to for a second. And then I realized that there were laws around that. But for a second, Nora, I, I just feel like you should explain to people <laughs> what Aqua is, because I feel like there might be some people who listen to our podcast who uh, may not know. Okay, so you started off the episode asking if I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. And if you don't actually know what that's a reference to, I don't fucking know if I can help you by explaining it, to be honest. But <laughs> the band that made that song was Aqua. They were a Swedish-Norwegian band. They had Lenny, the singer, and she had a very like standard pop voice. And then they had that bald guy who's probably named Sven or Soren or something. And he was all like... I'm a la 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 in the middle of the songs, every single fucking song. And I love it. I love him and I love them. And I haven't checked their politics and so no one respond to me and say they're fascists or something. I don't want to hear it. Okay. I got to be honest with you. I don't know. I don't care. They're not Ace of Base who did turn out to be fascists, but that's the reference. Oh my God. Okay. So you love Aqua. Is, is Aqua somehow affiliated to this Barbie movie? Did they um, make some sort of mm. resurgence? Is, are they? I don't know. I, I don't think so. You know what? I didn't watch it. Um, I will, though. I will. I'm intending to, <laughs> but I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> um, so I can't say, but um, nobody ruined it for me. I would love it if Aqua was part of it. Mm. Yeah, I don't know either. I'm not going to see this movie. Obviously, it's like so not my thing. I'd rather fucking be punched in the face 10 times. Uh, I thought for that the it was- listeners for the listeners to know, like, um, yes, there's there are some um, analyses and so on about how this is a subversive movie. Nora doesn't care. No, uh, I don't not care. Not only does Nora not care about Barbie, she actually like actively hates watching movies. I, I it's <laughs> a very strange thing. So there is there's no possible way for her to care. No. Less. No, this. I mean <laughs> I, I, I think that they casted Ken too old. Like Ryan Gosling's like fifty, isn't he? Like I I'm like, what the fuck, Ken? He's too old. So that's like I my. I think that's part of the point. Hot take. I think that's. <laughs> I don't I know. I have no idea. I think that's part. He's of not the fifty. Point. Everybody. I know he's not fifty. I know he's like my age, which is fine. Ken can be my age. But um, yeah, I don't care about that. I don't care about this. And Sandy, did you know I care so little about it that I was uh, asked to talk about it on CBC this morning just because the universe fucking thinks it's hilarious to maybe talk about Barbie. I did know that because you told me just before we started uh, recording, which normally I wouldn't say, but but you fleeced me on that last week. So that's why I'm saying it this week. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes. Well, Sandy, why are we talking about Barbie? Are we actually talking about Barbie in this episode? We're not actually talking about Barbie this episode, but we are talking about the way in which conversations about stuff happen on the internet and how we are Mm. forced to have certain types of conversations. And in this weekend, this like really special weekend for the people who run theaters, who've been (laughs) afraid since the pandemic that people would never, ever, ever come back in this weekend, the weekend of Barbie and Oppenheimer, there has been quite a bit of discussion on the internets about both of those movies and lots of opinions Mm. and it's weird. It's a little weird how um, those discussions go and how uh, folks are feel forced to have Mm. conversations on the internet. Yeah. Like I saw Ben Shapiro was mad that there was too much WAP in Barbie. Like wet ass pussy. (laughs) I just, I can't see him without thinking about that anymore. He really hated the Barbie movie. So I just thought that that was his critique. (laughs) Oh my God. I mean, (laughs) sure. I'm sure we've got some people to thank before we get into it, though. Yes, we do. This week, thank you so, so, so much to Lorna for your support. Uh, We really, really appreciate it. And if we happen to have two people with the same name, um, because it kind of looks like we may have, uh, I want to say thanks to Lorna twice. (laughs) So you're awesome. It actually looks like it's thanks to Lorna three times. Lorna, Lorna and Lorna. You're awesome, Lorna. And you know what? We are, because we're taking a break, it's always awkward to take a break when people donate to the podcast because you're donating because you like to listen to it. And we know that most of you, probably 95% of you are like, take your time off, take your vacation. That's normal. And I hope that 5% of you are like, fuck your vacation. I want to hear Sandy Nora. And that's normal too. But, you know, we're going to be taking time off and we're going to be hitting September uh, hard. We're going to be hitting the ground running and giving you episodes the second that we can back in the new school year. Uh, I know it's not the new year, but it will be a new year for many people. And so uh, stick with us. Enjoy back episodes of the podcast while we are away. And if you do donate to us, if you listen to us, you know, feel free to keep the conversation going when we're off the air because we'll see it. Maybe we'll check in. Maybe we'll be able to talk. I mean, I won't. I'm not going to be in cell phone range. So that's kind of fucking nice. But, uh, you know, keep keep close with us. And um, I still have to figure out this Discord server stuff. Someone is suggesting to connect it to the Patreon. We're going to try to do that. That's a great idea. And I don't know. I don't know. As we say in French, as with the uh, with the Discord uh, fan networking, getting all of you to us as much as possible. Yeah, and for those of you who are uh, still struggling with the effects of the wildfires, you know, we're still with you. For those of you who've been impacted by the flooding on the East Coast, oh my God, this stuff is just going to get worse and worse, and we are with you too. Um, And, you know, we just thought as for, for our last episode before we go off, Let's let's talk about something a little bit lighter, but that has deep impact. So here we are, Barbenheimer. <laughs> yes, and I think that on the Barbie side of things, like I don't have much more to say. You know, it's it seems like a pretty inoffensive movie in terms of like most people will enjoy it. It seems clever. It seems fun. Certainly, the color is really bright and vivid. So I hope people enjoy it. I'm much more interested in the conversation around Oppenheimer. Mm. I have seen some of this discourse, some of this discourse around Oppenheimer. And I got to say, you know, as someone who, again, has not seen the film, I'm a little confused. 
No, I'm a lot confused. Actually, mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. confused at all. Yeah. I'm just frustrated. I'm going through the the motions of naming my emotions <laughs> here. I'm frustrated because like I just cannot imagine why why we are so stuck in a world where we make the same most boring critiques even when they make zero sense um and by we i don't mean we at all i just mean like the internet the internet that's out there the the like it's it's as though we're all operating as ai you know it's uh Mm -hmm. it's annoying yeah okay so like let's step back so the story of oppenheimer is the one of the primary figures behind creating atomic weapons right this is a scientist that uh, helped to develop something called the Manhattan Project and managed to make the United States the first nuclear power, the first power that was able to drop a nuclear bomb of its size. And um, somehow, somehow, the conversation is like kind of missing all of that. Um, if you only look at what's happening online, uh, you might think that this is a movie that like glorifies nuclear weapons or glorifies uranium mining or glorifies all of the death and destruction that these weapons uh, create. And I'm not sure that that's how we should be reading this. And I wonder if this is all kind of like a campaign to just make sure that people are talking about it and um, and trying to compete with Barbie, because actually the Barbie advertising campaigns, which started months and months and months ago, remember, people were able to change their avatar and become a member of the Barbie world or whatever. Uh, they poured tons of money into advertising. And I'm wondering if Oppenheimer had to, like, create fake kinds of Internet uh, controversies to make sure that we're all talking about Oppenheimer and talking about, like, the man and not about the fact that, like, in a week is the anniversary of the bombing of Hiroshima. And then after that was the bombing of Nagasaki, right, which was the first time that the nuclear bomb was dropped, killing more than 300,000 people uh, in this horrific, horrific instant death related to nuclear weapons. And then, of course, it's very contemporary considering uh, that we are closer to nuclear war than we have been in a long time. But I'm not seeing those kinds of conversations. Are you seeing those kinds of conversations? No, and this is the thing that is so bizarre because it's like, yeah, I mean, if if we wanted to 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 use this uh, piece of like cultural um, art or whatever uh, to to have, be a joint jump off point for any sort of conversation, perhaps that conversation should be like, you know, um, hey, we're getting closer to nuclear war. Maybe we should do more to reinvigorate campaigns to get rid of nuclear weapons and stop the proliferation of uh, of nuclear weaponry. Uh, but instead, the conversations are like, well, I mean, I'm just going to tell you what I've been seeing on Twitter, because another interesting conversation we could have is like how every social media is different. And perhaps some of these conversations aren't being replicated everywhere. But this is what I'm seeing on Twitter is these critiques that are like, um, okay, there are there are you know there's no Japanese people in the film. That it's like an erasure of racialized people, uh, and that it is a glorification of of the man Oppenheimer, and uh, in some ways a glorification of uh, the nuclear project in and of itself. Which, again, haven't seen the film. I would be stunned. I would be really stunned 
if there was some sort of campaign to uh, glorify nuclear war through a film that got greenlit in Hollywood. That seems weird to me. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the question, I guess, is how does Hollywood tell a story about nuclear weapons? And clearly, this story is being told from the perspective of the individual himself, Oppenheimer. And, I mean, from Hollywood, that seems kind of par for the course, right? Deep psychological thriller diving into the one man who realizes that he has created something that could literally destroy the world. Of course, it's going to be told through that lens if you're going to make it that individualistic and 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 not I don't know a social commentary generally about nuclear war which is not how Hollywood really operates right um you know the the one critique that you mentioned um that there was no Japanese people in the film which is like sorry you want to see them killed by the nuclear bomb or were there Japanese scientists that were erased in this story or is that really the conversation that we should be having with this I'm not sure but I don't know if you saw but Twitter slapped on a a little like precision thing that was very fucked up that was like well actually there were racialized people there were Jewish scientists were there and it's like what what (laughs) sorry that actually then also opens up a whole other conversation to like the anti-semitic world on Twitter that is going to just like a lot of anti-women uh, misogynists will point to Mary Curie and say well she's the she's the reason um, women are the reason that we have these massive uh, destruction weapons so thank you Twitter I guess it's, it's Jewish scientists who are actually the reasons we have these destruction weapons like n- none of this none of this makes any sense as you said at the beginning of the of the episode that this is a this is really weird how this has spun out and I think that you know you hinted at this and, and I think this is the actual most important part is that if we weren't distracted by these things online, then maybe we would be having a conversation about atomic energy and nuclear weapons and access to nuclear power and reactors and uranium mining and the war in Ukraine and how close we are to nuclear war again and who's a nuclear nation and who is not a nuclear nation and where are nuclear warheads stored and all of this stuff. Except we don't have that conversation because we are being all like led down a very specific path that has no end that has no no useful end because when we start to argue about who's been erased from the story of Oppenheimer the only thing that you conclude is that the movie is a, is a problem or is bad or is wrong but we actually don't exit the discussion of the movie and look at the world as it is right now and say wait a minute what is the connection between what we're seeing this this historical picture and today and then that actually opens up a path of action rather than just kind of like giving your hot take about what's missing from this movie on Twitter, which doesn't lead us anywhere productive collectively. Well, and this is the thing that's really frustrating is it's like, um, and I mean, this has been a theme on this podcast before, like in the way that the Internet forces us to have these conversations, it's just a dead end, right? Like you're just like, you know, uh, where are the uh, Japanese people in the film? And then someone responds online, what you wanted to see Japanese people dying on screen, like how would that help? And then someone else responds like, like, of course, there were people of color. who, And then, you know, everybody like fights about um how how many uh, token uh, individuals should be included in the Oppenheimer film, which, you know, is based on a book anyway. So, like, I don't know. <laughs> like, it's just like feels like it's a full on dead end. 
instead of like the world of possibilities open to us when any sort of uh, cultural product like this comes out that seems to like really take hold of the zeitgeist there's like an opportunity to say who's being impacted by nuclear weaponry right now how have people been impacted by nuclear weaponry in the past Um, who has not received um, the sort of, say, recompense that they should have received from being impacted by nuclear weapons. And instead of doing the thing to, like, uh, take the opportunity that um, this being out in the zeitgeist uh, creates, which is to have people take a look at these sorts of arguments and perhaps starting a campaign to address some of those things, it's like these just, like, really dead-end conversations online that make it nowhere but if if that's something that uh you know you really care about and that's something that you you think needs to be addressed in a big way then gosh i mean start a campaign about it get get into like le- legitimate media talking about what needs to be done what hasn't been done yet um how horrific these moments were and what they led to and use the use the film as a jump off point to do something productive rather than say you know i you know i watched this film for three hours, I assume it's three hours, it's Christopher Nolan, um, I watched this film for three hours and didn't see X, which you could say about any, like you can make, you can, there's a, there's a, if this film did have uh, Japanese people dying on screen, I mean, yeah, you could make a critique in the other direction too, and nothing would change. Nothing would change. Mm-hmm. All things remain the same. Yeah. So here we have um, it, you know, premiered this weekend. We're recording on Sunday. So far, Barbie is outpacing Oppenheimer almost by double at the box office. And I am more and more convinced that like the way that that conversation is happening online is about advertising the film. Because, you know, it seemed to me that there was a question about whether or not this was a a pro-nuclear war film. And as someone that's not about to see it, I'm not going to see it. I'm not seeing it. I didn't see it. I'm not seeing a movie. I don't go to movies, as you said. I I, I can only go off of what people are saying about the film, right? And it's like, as you, as you said earlier, is it possible that Hollywood made a pro-nuclear war movie? Do you watch this movie and do you think, wow, Oppenheimer was really trying to end all wars by creating the nuclear uh, weapons. That's that's amazing of him. <laughs> it's like impossible to actually believe that, right? Um, and and yet somehow this whole thing has been held in in the most narrowest of, of conversations. This is what the internet does, and we've talked about it on this podcast a lot. And I hope that people are thinking about this. And certainly, as social media continues to evolve and become even fucking worse. Um, this is something that we have to keep in mind. At what point do we get manipulated? And I don't, I don't necessarily mean people making these critiques are actively manipulating us. I think that they are tropes. I think that they're easy to say. I think that they're easy to retweet. I think some of the histories are very interesting. And so, um, you know, people are interested in, in finding out things that they didn't know about it. But th- we, we get forced anyway into the most strict binary conversation and it is done very intentionally to make sure that we are spending money at a box office and not spending money on fighting against nuclear weapons or on not understanding what, what is what is the state of nuclear weapons in this in this world right now? Who's a nuclear power? Who has the ability to wipe out 400,000 people tomorrow? And 
it's it's really interesting because if you look at the history of the anti-war movement in North America and Canada in particular and the women's movement, at the beginnings of both of those movements in the post-World War II period was nuclear weapons, right? Nuclear weapons or women organizing against nuclear weapons is one of the key foundations of what becomes the women's movement in the late 1960s and the early 1970s. And the anti-war movement is deeply, deeply, deeply influenced by this, um, you know, this emerging technology that hangs over everyone's head in the Cold War and the fight to denuclearize, you know, different nations on Earth. And let's be clear. I mean, the United States has more nukes than fucking most <laughs> most uh, countries. It's, it's stunning when you go to Hiroshima. Uh, they have a, a, a monument. Well, I mean, they have a huge museum that is you should go if you have a chance, you should go. But they show like what what is the nuclear warhead stock of every country that's a nuclear power. And it's like United States is by far and away, you know, has has the most. And we have come so far away from understanding the horrors of nuclear war and the dangers of nuclear ener- of energy, atomic energy weapons that um, that there's not even much debate on nuclear energy itself. Right. That we're, we're dealing with so many competing uh, crises right now that a lot of people uh, on the left included see nuclear energy as being like the, the, the best stopgap between uh, the fossil fuel economy and the new economy, the, the sustainable economy. And it's like, again, what, though, is the connection between that and war? Is there a connection between that and war? And as we're cheerleading war, we being Canada, our our government cheerleading war uh, against Russia, what is the danger that nuclear weapons find their way into this this fight? It's very clear to me that people don't know that history and they don't know. Um, you know, things like the Bomark uh, uh, weapons, uh, missiles, the, the, the first time that nuclear uh, warheads were used in, in the Canada agreed to this. And there was a huge outcry around uh, about around agreeing to having some uh, amount of nuclear energy within these missiles from decades and decades and decades ago. People people don't know any of these stories. And so instead, we're fighting online on whether or not Oppenheimer was like a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that this, I mean, it has like a, a some broader implications on on the way that we organize or or the the way that people feel like they can associate with uh with the left. And like I don't know that I uh believe that this is like a, a marketing ploy. I just don't. Like it's just too dumb. <laughs> a marketing ploy in my head and uh, I don't know maybe I don't know I just I cannot imagine that someone has come up with something this ridiculous uh, in order to to try to compete with Barbie for the weekend but um but but what I do see is like uh this way that um the 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 left uh is kind of characterized online where these sorts of, and how we're expected to act and like how some people do act and like the, the ridiculousness that it leads to it, it just, it's so absurd and meaningless that I think it does uh, a huge disservice uh, to people who are trying to do really good work around um, anti-racism and focusing on uh, anti-war and the work that we do do when we are pointing out uh, these issues and pointing it out in a generative way and pointing it out in a way that allows us to continue to do some work uh, to impact 
policy, even culture and things that do matter when something like this comes up, which is so, so flat and, and without like with that, that leads to a dead end and uh, is disingenuous. I think people can really see through that and it does have an impact on people engaging in these issues that we actually really desperately need to be engaging in politically right now. Yeah. But but the thing is, is like, this is just such classic, like liberalism, looking at an issue, boiling it down into uh, some sort of fight that we can feel extremely passionately about that we can understand as being an important kind of discussion or struggle or debate or whatever. And it effectively having no material impact on anything, right, which is exactly where liberals where the center wants the left to be having these discussions uh, in in perpetua never actually being able to get out of the the cycle of debating these things online and understanding where they should become uh, rendered uh, real into the real world right like it's fine to do movie criticism it's fine to debate things that don't really matter but it's so fascinating that like um that we have here two movies and Barbie has had just as much attention on how like quote unquote woke it is and how Barbie's trying to be like, you know, against the patriarchy and all this stuff. And it's like, she's fake. <laughs> she's a doll. And at the end of the day, what's happening with the Barbie movie is that uh, kids are not playing with dolls as much as they are, as much as they used to because they're on screens all the time. And Barbie needs to get its hooks into a new generation of people. And what better way to do it than through their parents who loved Barbie, who remembered Barbie and who will go to this movie and be in, like entertained by it because it's like uplifting and cool and, and, and funny and whatever. Whereas uh, Oppenheimer means something. He meant something. And everything about laying the groundwork for the current global order uh, today was connected to things like fighting for supremacy on atomic energy. Like that's that's a really huge part of why the global order exists today the way that it did. And it's just so interesting to see that completely scrubbed from anyone's mind and just making sure that we're sticking very specifically on the narrowest thing. Yeah, I wish I mean, I, I wonder, was there a time <laughs> on the Internet, Nora? Was there a time when we were able to have more sophisticated conversations? I feel like there was. And I'm not exactly yes. sure if I can pinpoint exactly when it all changed. But I, I know that the conversations that I'm seeing on Twitter about Oppenheimer are not conversations from anyone I follow. It's like the way that you know Twitter is pushing things to your... Um, to your feed that have nothing to, to, to do with what you have told Twitter that you're interested in looking at, but what an algorithm has presumed that you're interested in looking at. And then, you know, you look at it or I look at it and I get frustrated and then I'm just like, gosh, uh, I don't do this anymore. This is why <laughs> I turn it off. But I, you know, like I re remember a time where it would have been like, I need to respond to this or whatever it was. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's like really exhausting. I mean, I, I, I don't know if the similar conversations are happening on Threads or Spill or any of the other Twitter-like apps that have kind of um, 
come up since uh, since Twitter has has you know um, started its free fall into what will eventually be a ir- irrelevance, I'm sure. Um, but it, it and, and another interesting piece of what could be this conversation is how things are discussed on individual social platforms. But certainly this is a conversation that has, you know, I've seen people talking about it in similar ways outside the internet. So it has jumped from our cell phone screens to uh, real life conversations, which is, I think, again, part of the danger of this sort of thing, because it, it, it flattens our conversations online, but it also destroys our ability to imagine that any sort of other conversations or actions can take place. Yeah, I mean, there was a time where we had debates that were um, more rooted, I think, in what was going on. And this this goes back to this idea that we really are in a moment where the past doesn't exist, where we are constantly reinventing the present in such a way that the past is meaningless. It's rendered meaningless or rendered invisible or rendered impossible to see. And that means that we're just always having the same discussions over and over and over. And so today it's Oppenheimer. Tomorrow it'll be, a, I don't know, a movie about Napoleon and being like, did you know Napoleon was actually a sexual abuser? And it's like, OK, yeah, probably. Like, who cares, guys? It's Napoleon. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, and, and name any number of, of, of movie-based discussions or pop culture-based discussions that has this exact same logic in the online buzz or discussion about it. Um, but it's because we are so incapable of connecting our online lives and selves to that real world self. And we do like conversations certainly cross that barrier, but we have a hard time, I think, bringing the real world onto online because we are so used to having these very flat conversations. And we forget that, you know, these are text-based media that, um, not everyone has the same level of entry, like entry skill to be able to use. And so we're all kind of fumbling around in our own way, imagining that the people we're engaging with are like us, or they maybe they communicate like us, or, or they operate in the same level of good faith that we do. And of course, it's like not true. And a lot of times they're not even real people. And this replaces <laughs> life. It replaces real life. And I mean, we know all of this. We know all of this. We know that every one of us has our own portal into our own social media feed and we adorn it with the things that we like the most. And that's how we see the internet in the way that we have organized it. And there's no common anything with other people. Like we're not reading common newspapers or, or for better or for worse. We're not having common conversations with strangers because we've cut those kinds of interactions out of our lives for better or for worse. And that it means that everything becomes two, it's rendered two dimensional in every way. And when we're constantly, the, the, the iterations of life and existence is us just watching the same message over and over and over because there's no such thing as history. Uh, I mean, it's gonna, it actually is enough to drive you completely insane. And I, and I think that that <laughs> is perhaps, I mean, is that more dangerous than atomic energy? Hmm, I'm not sure, but it's certainly dangerous. I, I mean, I think there's there's also this uh, a, a part of the piece of the conversation about history is like really interesting because in a way, this film Oppenheimer um, and Barbie, too, are are like cultural products that are about history. And I mean, they tell us about our current moment um, and in, it, in its attempt to do something, to say something about history and about uh, culture and 
uh, again, without having seen seen the film, but really focusing on the the critiques that we're seeing, um, I think that some of the critiques are maybe coming to like this conclusion that it is like you know that certain pieces of history can't be told in certain ways. Maybe like I I. I'm not sure if you're getting the same sort of conclusion from some of the critiques that we're seeing, or maybe the critique is trying to say that um, the, the the this sort of art, like this sort of contemplation, should be coming from should be like the makers of such art should should it should only be coming from certain communities. Either way, I think that the, these things are are incorrect. But I, I'm really I, I get nervous about um, a conclusion that, that is something like that because I, I do think that it's important to to have um, cultural conversations, historical conversations, certainly political conversations about really ugly moments in history. And it, you know, like, I I think there's ways that you have those conversations. Like this is not in any way, of course, an argument to like have, um, you know, statues that, or monuments that glorify figures in history. But I, but I certainly think that if there's uh, art to be made about, um, about some of the ugliest moments that that art should be made and not saying that this is great art because I don't know, I haven't seen it, but I just think, um, that, that that should be a part of the consideration as well. Well, okay. So that, that's a really interesting point though. Cause it's like, you know, a lot of times we're raging against mainstream art and we're raging against it because it's flawed in some way. There's, there's, you know, sexist themes, there's racist themes, there's, it is straight up racist. It is uh, colonial or whatever. And it's, it's also very, I find it so interesting that we rail against when the mainstream does that. Because, of course, the mainstream's going to do that. Like, how could it not do that? How could anything produced by the most mainstream of, uh, of, of Hollywood film producers or whatever not represent the culture that is creating it. Like there's it, it, like at some level we imagine, I think sometimes that these movies are made like completely disconnected from reality. And, and, and then when reality seeps in and it's like, Oh my God, this was so racist. It's like, of course, <laughs> of course it was racist. It is ra- like that. That's the society in which we live. And so there's an interesting push pull between like, seeing ourselves reflected on camera and saying, oh my God, that's not us. And it's like, well, actually it is us. Um, and how do we deal with that? Or um, how do we make a picture of us that is not authentic, that is not who we really are? Because we are imbued by by racism and sexism and colonialism and capitalism and all of these oppressions and ableism and, and queer, queer phobia and transphobia. That is who we are, but we want to see a better representation of us because it could be used for educational purposes or it could be sell better because people have aspirations of being better. You know what I mean? Like there doesn't really seem to be any kind of cultural discussions about how we're often railing against reality or reality as it as it as it um, 
as it happens. And then we were really bad at holding up alternative forms of art that then that then do pack those really uh, powerful critiques of the status quo. And of course, those are often done by filmmakers who do not have the backing of Hollywood or who do not have the big budgets behind them or whatever. And it's just like it's a little bit like, again, we, we don't know how to fight for systemic social change. And so instead, we just kind of rage against the most obvious or something that is a reflection of our time that we are ashamed of or wish it wasn't or want to change but can't change the reality so we can change the way that the story is told. Yeah, that really makes me think about uh, something that we almost talked about this episode, but we decided to go this direction instead, is um, that really makes me think about uh, some of the conversations I've been seeing recently and critiques I've been seeing recently about um, equity, diversity, and inclusion as a as an industry oh. generally. Like it's it's the same sort of thing, right? Like it's 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 actually really funny too because those critiques are happening in certain places but not in others. Like I was I was listening to a to a news podcast that was like explaining to its audience what equity, diversity, and inclusion was. Like as though as though the audience had never heard about it before. And I was like, wow, this audience must be really different than my life. And and you like, uh, you know, for who, who I am on, on the internet, open up any sort of social media and see all these critiques about, um, that industry, that world. So who knows, um, uh, about, uh, EDI, but you know, the, the EDI is like basically like a whole industry that's cropped up that is unable to figure out how to do something meaningful with its critique about um, fucking equity, diversity, and inclusion in the way that our institutions and society is set up. And so just, it's like a, it's like an industry of pointing things out. It's like, it's like an industry of what's happening on Twitter. It's like, here is the bad thing. This is what it is. Here's how you recognize it. And not much else that does anything transformative to shift those institutions, to shift uh, the systems that create those institutions that would make something like EDI, like the critique that comes out of EDI, uh, to further that critique or to, to, to change the conditions such that it is less possible um, for for those types of uh, discriminations and oppressions to to sustain themselves within these institutions and systems. It's a it's very much a similar thing. It's almost like we're in an era of like like the, some what should we call like what what do we name this era of political impotence? Oh my God, Sandy! Don't I think just about say that don't just say liberalism. Like, what do we call it? Like, it's it's like it's like you know, it's it's part of it is like the inter- it needs a name. We yeah. need something to to ref- to make it real. We need something to 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 call it to point to it so that we can tell people when it's happening. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think about this all the time because it's like you know, in the post World War II period. Uh, Marxism was the was the political theory that drove so much and whether it was pro but more often than not it was anti or reactions to Marxism or how do you reform Marxist thought and create social policies in the West that would be palatable or whatever and so 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 Marxism defines 1950s 60s 70s and into the 80s and then all of a sudden neoliberalism comes up right this the supremacy of, of the individual as being so important 
we are in like neoliberalism in overdrive. We're still exactly there. But it's like now no longer do we tell the individual that they're the most important thing. and There's no such thing as society. But they that, but they, they, they feel that. They don't feel like they're part of society. There is no society other than what they might log into online and see. that That is the replacement for their society. And so I'm saying all these things, hoping, standing that you're coming up with a, fr- a, a term because it's like it's 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 navel gazing. It's uh, it's 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 looking inwards. It's ton- tunnel vision or, or, or looking through a sieve or something like that. Like, like we're so individually boxed that it is it is beyond liberalism. It's it's uh, a combinations of feudalism and uh, libertarianism. And that doesn't make any sense because those things aren't supposed to go together unless we're so dis- we're so disillusioned uh, of of our reality. We think that we have total freedom and we're fighting for total freedom while we're actually fully under the thumb of power in a way that has not been the case in like more than a century. Yeah, I you know I deeply thought tried to come up with a term, but uh, you know I'm I did not. <laughs> think of something but I mean yeah like you I I mean you said a couple of words there that describe it that I think the anti-historicism is part of like what describes it also but like the flattening the two-dimensionalness like all of that is part of it and the and the, the 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 crux I think is the is the thing about it that like really stops us from taking any sort of action that's the thing that I think is important part the most important so I don't know maybe you look up some sort of way to say that it's a profound paralysis it's a deep 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 paralysis and you know I I think a lot about um the way that that Sartre talked about nausea and and nausea the disgustingness of living um being kind of the underlying thing uh, of of one's life that there was no point to life and and if you thought about it too much or if you allowed those thoughts to enter your head too much then you felt physically sick with yourself and so I think that we're somewhere I think that that actually really does very well explain a lot of the existential crises that we experience today um, because it is such a um, a personal feeling. And so whether it's nausea or whether it's migraines or whether it's like a, a panic attacks or anxiety attacks, like it, it is so personally absorbed and inside of ourselves um, that we have a hard time making those connections with how it actually isn't inside of ourselves. It is it is being imposed on us by by the outside. So the political era of like nausealism. <laughs> Yeah, like this is where I've got to go go and open up uh, the philosophers from like, you know, from the from the dawn of the of the capitalist era and looking at how um like the 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 lack of 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 living within any kind of society and becoming a cog in the wheel of someone else's machine just leads to the the most desperate feelings of of nothingness and of worthlessness. And that the only thing that gives you any uh, joy to live is everything else, which is always in conflict with work, which means that society, when it's 100 percent in the service of the market, is constantly crushing every single thing that isn't in the service of you working for somebody. 
Like that's where we are. And that has been where we've are, we've been for 100 years, more than 100 years. But it is it is now in, a, in, a, in an extreme where the prison around which we we all operate is is self-imposed, is is the Internet, is our social media feeds, is what we agree to put ourselves through because this has replaced society. Auto nihilism. <laughs> the, the the political yeah. age of auto nihilism <laughs> oh my god auto nihilism or techno nihilism i'm sure someone talks about that you know it's it is it, it's not even the problem with nihilism is it's like it's the the feeling of 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 nothingness but it, we are not nihilistic it is imposed. It's nihilism is imposed yeah, that's, on that's us. That's the that's the weird part of it. Yeah, <laughs> it's imposed <laughs> on us, but we are willing participants through, yeah. through our phones. I don't know, people. Like this has been deeper conversation actually Ooh. than I was expecting <laughs> from this topic. But I think you know if this language stuff is your jam, in the next few weeks while we are off, I mean. Give us some suggestions because I would love uh, like some sort of term for this that we could like literally point out whenever it's happening and we can start to just avoid that shit and and start to create something new because I am nauseous. I am. Yeah, no, I think for sure. And and while you're thinking on that, I just also want to leave you with one last little thought about Oppenheimer. Okay. Sandy, have you seen anything about the movie related to how Oppenheimer was a communist? I I saw something, I think, on Twitter. But I, I, like I said, I was very annoyed by this whole stuff. So I didn't really, let's say no, I didn't. (laughs) Okay. I mean, I I didn't see this. I think I knew this um, at some point, um, but it's not something that I've seen anyone talk about. And I think that this is really interesting. He Oppenheimer himself, uh, you know, he's a he's a nuclear well physicist. I mean, comes I mean, you know <laughs> the grandfather of nuclear physics, I guess maybe. Um, but he was um, communist adjacent. He was uh, he donated money to the Spanish sp- Civil War, and he uh, had um, memberships or um, he had subscriptions to communist newspapers. He never joined the Communist Party, but he actually got caught up in the Red Scare and McCarthyism in the 1950s, losing his security clearance. And so I I think like that's what I read about. Yeah, I think that that is interesting that that someone can can be so um, driven by intellectual pursuits and find themselves actually literally creating the most destructive and horrifying um, tool of the 20th century. And that that seems like a pretty interesting little um, (laughs) like uh, warning bell for those of us who who are left wing and who uh, are you know have to be aware of of the way that our projects influence what goes on around us and how do we make sure that we're living our politics and not falling into a machine where we don't have control over our work. But I guess in the age of auto nihilism, it becomes uh, <laughs> it gets put on us. We have no choice, so we're like, oh fuck, I'll just I'll just work until I die. How about that? Oh, God. But maybe I'll see Barbie first. Well, I mean, not me, but maybe you. (laughs) Definitely me.